0: You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and health care related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And I've been pretty busy lately, guys. Lots going on. Obviously, I'm still taking care of patients. So I'm working. I have a family. Um, I do media, as you guys know, putting on the podcast here and being a medical contributor on television. And then I need some time for myself, some rest and relaxation, as well as family time. And there's still a part of my schedule where I want to stay current. With what's going on, and that kind of ties into my media stuff. But what's going on in the world today that impacts me personally as a woman, as a mother, um, that impacts my family? What's happening in the public, right? And what's happening within my profession as a nurse? What do I need to know as a healthcare provider? And public safety issues, public health issues that are going on. Obviously, we have COVID. We have monkeypox. First case of polio has popped up, and who knows what else is going to be happening, right? I mean and also let me not take away gun violence is a, a public health issue as well as women's reproductive rights health rights and things like that so lots to to know and to you know kind of keep my finger on, on and i don't know about you but i don't always have time to watch the news although i'm on the news right so i thought i'd do a podcast episode speaking specifically about women's reproductive health rights but that was triggered by something it was triggered because i saw in the headlines i saw an article That said, feds sue Idaho over states restrictive abortion law. So before I kind of jump into that, I want to give a little background to bring some people up to speed because sometimes even as a woman, you know, sometimes I don't keep up on all the things that I should know. And it's kind of assumed that I do know. And I feel silly when I, when I realize I don't know. So let me just kind of give the highlight and cliff notes of what's happening here. So many of us, have heard of Roe v. Wade, right? It was a landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in which the Constitution of the United States upheld the right that women had the right to have an abortion, right? That was their right. Well, so that was actually overturned back in June. So the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which put an end to rights to abortion, which had been upheld for decades, right? (sighs) Golly. So, But let me say this, before that was overturned, in anticipation of it being overturned, nearly half the states, well, not completely half, but almost half of the states put into place what are called trigger laws. So some of you guys may have heard these. These were laws that were put into place, kind of like a trigger in reaction to, in response to. So in case this happens, then do this type of thing. So in the case of, if ever, Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, these states put into place law that would make abortion illegal and punishable and you know restrictions around who if they were even allowed even in the smallest sense who could get them who couldn't perhaps rape victims could still get abortions in some states it's like didn't matter what happened can't get an abortion so they put restrictions around those and then as well specified if they were punishable by um, prison time if they were punishable by fines and those type of things so there were stipulations put on but these were put in place even before the Roe v. Wade was turned over. So these were called trigger laws. So many states put these in place. And then when Roe v. v. Wade was overturned, these laws now became enforceable because Roe v. Wade was overturned. So because that started to happen, the Department of Justice, what they did is they created a new reproductive rights task force to help oversee things, to help oversee what different states were doing what laws were in place, kind of keep their fingers on the pulse as to what was happening. And then also identify if any of the states were doing things or putting laws in place that were in direct conflict or against federal law. And so in its first action, in its first case ever, the DOJ is actually suing the state of Idaho saying that their state abortion law is too restrictive. And in fact, it's saying that they brought on the case because the Idaho law would force doctors to violate the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, which is a federal law that requires any hospital that receives Medicare funds to stabilize and treat any person coming to a medical facility for emergency treatment. So, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar. I know if you work in the ER you hear it a lot, EMTALA, that's what that is, Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. So, when a hospital determines, and this is why we can't turn anyone away from an emergency room. They have to at least come in, be screened, determined how, you know, if they're medically stable, if so, then, you know, we can, my treat, release, whatever the case may be. Or if they're unstable, that we need to stabilize them and provide them, you know, access to emergency treatment that will help stabilize them if, if we're not unable to do so. So when a hospital determines that an abortion is a medical treatment necessary, to stabilize a patient's emergency medical condition is required by federal law to provide that treatment. And Idaho's law, which is scheduled to go in effect in the latter part of August, is in direct conflict with that. So the task force hasn't even been in place for a month, and they're already uh, you know, enforcing this, which I'm I'm glad to see because I do believe that the public needs a watchdog. And while the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the Department of Justice has stepped in to provide some oversight to help keep uh, women's reproductive health and safety in mind at the forefront. It's interesting to you know that they they filed this to go back to kind of these uh, abortion laws. I referenced that each state, not every state, but many states enacted these things called trigger laws. So they're all many of them are different, right? Who can get an abortion? Who can't get an abortion? Is there any stipulations around when and how they can get the abortion? Some also actually even extend into the abortion pill and those type of things. And some were concerned about birth control. For the most part, birth control in all states have been protective and excluded from the abortion law. However, I wanted to touch base and let people know that there definitely is a difference. There is a difference between uh, the abortion pill and emergency contraceptives. I know many people were clumping them together and they would do that if they didn't, you know, if they weren't healthcare providers and didn't understand the difference. And perhaps some of you all don't know the difference between the two, but I think it's very important that you do understand. So when talking to women who might find themselves in these situations, they're looking for help. Some of them are afraid to ask for help, especially now that there are penalties, jail time, fines and things like that behind even some of their own inquiries because their inquiries could be represented as intent and that could be taken to the law. And, you know, no one wants to get in trouble. They just want to be safe and want to be healthy. But it's important for people to understand that emergency contraceptive, which many of us know, we've heard, well, not many of us. I don't know. I don't know if I should say many of us, because the crew I roll with, we kind of know what this is, but I live in California. We're a very progressive state where, you know, women's productive health are still protected and women can still get abortions. But, Plan B is also called the morning after pill. There's plan B one step, which is, uh, again, an emergency contraceptive that's typically taken within the first 72 hours of unprotected sex. And it's meant to prevent pregnancy from occurring. Prevent. So it's not an abortion pill because the person's not pregnant yet. It's meant to prevent pregnancy. And so it's usually available over the counter at drugstores and pharmacies, Access can vary depending on where you live, especially if you live in one of these very uh, conservative states that's trying to limit access to these. They contain hormones that uh, mainly work by stopping the release of an egg from the ovaries. Uh, And it can also prevent sperm from fertilizing an egg or if fertilization has occurred, it can prevent the embryo from attaching to the uterus. So and there are other names and brands. Uh, There's Next Choice, One Dose. AFTRA and E-Contra One Steps. Those are some other names. Women have been stockpiling these. They've been trying to get their hands on them. Some have ordering them online. These are emergency contraceptives and these are not considered abortion pills. Okay, very distinct difference. People are asking, you know, is is plan B banned? And as of now, emergency contraceptives are still legal. So that's one thing that's really, really important. So as we're talking to women and educating them, our patients, our peers, Perhaps it's for you, someone listening right now, and you didn't know the difference and you wanted to know, and you were afraid to ask. These emergency contraceptives currently are still legal to obtain, but I'm telling you now, some states are working overtime on trying to get these banned or very restricted. Now, emergency contraceptive pills, again, prevent pregnancy. The abortion pill is something that happens once a woman is already pregnant. So about half of people who get legal abortions in the U.S. use this method, which is called the medication abortion or the abortion pill. And unlike emergency contraceptives, which prevent pregnancies from occurring, the abortion pill works to terminate an early pregnancy. So this method of ending pregnancy usually involves taking two pills. There's one pill that you take, and then there's another pill that you take about 24 to 48 hours later. And together, these two pills, which are two different drugs, stop the pregnancy from growing and then cause the uterus to contract and expel itself. Medication abortion is approved by the FDA for use within the first 10 weeks of pregnancy and people can take the pills at home or in any location. They're very, very safe and they are effective. And this abortion is now banned in at least eight states with trigger bans in addition to additional states that will take effect soon. So these restrictions affect all forms of abortion, whether medication or surgical abortion. So it's important to know the difference between the two guys. I just felt compelled to share that because I was, actually, I'll be honest, I was talking to a couple folks who actually happened to be in the healthcare field. They were women and they were unaware of these things. So I thought, you know what, this is something we got to talk about because we need to know this as well as we should know this for our patients and even our peers or classmates, you never know who you can help. With this information guys and even if you don't remember it being able to point them in the right direction so where i was going with this doj sues the state of idaho saying that their abortion law is in direct conflict and is in violation of mtala so they're being you know they're they're being sued for that okay i'm hopeful that this sets precedence in other states And that they realize that, hey, there are some things that we just can't do here. I think it's really unfortunate. I feel that women should have the right to decide for themselves if they decide that they want to be pregnant and have a child. There's so many various reasons why a woman may not want to. And respectfully speaking, that's her choice. I know there's going to be some men who are listening to this podcast. And I think it's important for you all to be informed about what these things are too. Should you find yourself in a relationship or situationship where you and another person are having discussions about family planning? You know, what are our options based on where we live? What is it we can and cannot do? Should we decide that we're not ready to be parents now to each his own? You know, I, the most important thing is that whatever decisions people make, I want them to do so safely. The reason why Roe v vs. Wade was so critical is because to limit access to this type of service will cause a resurgence of a black market of back alley abortions, women going to hotels and people doing abortions illegally unsafe, and that could lead to more problems, and we don't want that to happen, and if someone is not ready to be a parent. Who is it for us or a state to decide that they should be a parent, even when they're not ready, they don't want to be, their circumstances aren't right. That's not for us to choose. We're not the ones who are going to be raising this child. And so I really felt it was real important that we discuss some of this. Now, am I the queen, the expert in abortion law and reproductive health and treatment and all those things? I'm not. Now I'm a mom. So I've had exposure to, to these things. I take care of patients. I've taken care of women. I know people who've had abortions, medical and surgical and the conditions around them. And I still love them. They're still my friends. And I wouldn't judge or treat anyone any differently based on their decisions. And the purpose of today's podcast was I really wanted to raise awareness to this because, you know, so many things are changing in the news. It's like, there's a big topic, Roe v. Wade overturned. And then we're off to the next topic. Then it's gun violence. Then it's COVID. Then it's monkeypox. And I just don't want us to lose sight on these things that are important and that are evergreen. Women's reproductive rights are something that's evergreen, meaning we will always need to know about this. We will always be talking about this. We will always need to uphold and respect this. And especially because many of us who are listening to this, probably nurses, are women. We need to know this for ourselves, for our daughters, for our nieces maybe our sisters, our aunts, you know, and for our patients. And we can't lose sight of this because there's always going to be another proposed law, legislation, something that's going to block our reproductive rights. And I think it's really important that, you know, we first equip ourselves with information and we're knowledgeable about it so we can apply the information and we can educate and empower others. So I thought it was really interesting when I saw that the DOJ was suing the state of Idaho. You go, DOJ. Like I'm so glad that you're there because who's really keeping track of all of the different laws and legislation in the various states? Because I'm pretty sure some of you are thinking that, oh, most states are the same. And listen, it is not. They are very individualized. You can literally be in one state and it's one thing. You cross that state line, it's a whole different ballpark. So you have to be mindful about you know, where you are, what state do you live in? What what are the conditions of your women's reproductive health in the state that you're in? So I live in the state of California where abortions are still legal. Our governor, Governor Newsom, has been very vocal about protecting women's rights and their rights to an abortion. And also here on on the West Coast, we have this our neighboring states, which are um, Oregon and Washington, also of the same beliefs, and also women's reproductive rights are protected in those states. So we've kind of formed this Western States Coalition. And, you know, also many big time employers, Google, Amazon, they have, you know, came out and stated that if they have employees in states where abortion or or where their reproductive health rights are limited, they will pay for their employees to fly. To a location in a state where they can safely have these procedures done. So I want to applaud businesses like that because, listen, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I was cedar tottering when I say it. But as a woman, we give life, we birth life. We are really responsible for the continuation of our species, um, which is important. But also, it's very important that we also be given the right. To do so, should we decide we want to do so? It's not something that should be dictated upon us to do so if we don't want to. and I think it's real important that much respect to the businesses and to the politicians and states that get it, man, you, you've heard this you've heard stories. you've heard situations where women have been raped and now they're because they live in a particular state, they're forced to have this child who was born out of rape and you know these could be very young young women, maybe they're 12 years old and then they're forced to have a child. I mean these are undesirable conditions and we shouldn't be forcing women to bear children when they're not ready. So kudos DOJ, kudos to the Western Coalition, California, Oregon, or Washington and there are, there are other states there I didn't name them all, but whatever state you're in, it's very important for you to know what they are and what you can do is you know Google your state, website and look up reproductive health rights and look up abortion law in your particular state to know what it is. It's important. You may you may not know and things are changing. Trigger laws are being put in place. Some things are enacted, some things not yet. And so, you know, be aware of what those things are. Don't be afraid to advocate for your patients. If you have a a patient who you feel is medically unstable and you feel like perhaps they're Pregnancy might be contributing to it mention that say that even if you're in a state where abortions are banned You need to advocate for the best interest of your patient So it doesn't always feel good to be an advocate, but you still need to be that hero for your patient guys I'm nurse alice. I wanted to talk about this. I know it's a little bit You know, it's kind of one of those subjects like oh man, but at the same token It's like oh man good Like good that we talked about it because it's one of those conversations. You didn't know that you needed to hear actually So, thanks to Nurse.org. Also, you know there are articles on Nurse.org about this, so please make sure to check them out. You can visit them at Nurse.org. Let me know what you thought about the topic. Have any comments, questions? Maybe you have a story you'd like to share. You can email me at NurseAlice at Nurse.org and share this conversation with a friend, a classmate, a colleague, someone who you feel might be interested in this information because it takes a village. Listen, when I get some good information, when there's a magazine, an outlet, an article, or something that I find that's really good, really helpful. I share, I sit, put it in a group chat, boop, sent, and it's sent. And you can do that with this podcast too. Check it out on your most favorite podcast platform you can share. And also while you're there, leave a review. Love to hear what you think about the podcast. It also helps me get my ratings up and get it out there in front of more people. So thank you so much in advance for leaving that review and leaving that awesome five-star rating. And guys, I'm Nurse Alice. You know, I love doing this. I love talking to people before they become my patients. I love talking to my peers. I don't think we do enough of that. I don't think we do. Until next time, guys, uh, make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.